Good morning and welcome to Birkie Baptist Church to our Easter Sunday service. It's great to have you with us. My name's Tom and I'm the Associate Minister here. Um, and whether you're a regular attender or whether you're brand new to the church, it's great to have you with us. We hope that you enjoy the service and we hope that you learn something about Jesus Christ and the love that he has for you and for me, especially on this Easter day. So before we begin looking at the scriptures and before we begin listening to the sermon this morning, let's, uh, let's just take a moment. I'd like to pray for you and I'd like you to take a moment to be still and to know the presence of God in your heart this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to you in prayer. Father, thank you that on this Easter day we can, we can pause and we can reflect on you. We can ask some serious questions and we can find some serious answers. Lord, we thank you that Easter reminds us that you love us, each and every one of us, regardless of who we are. You don't judge us by our past, but instead you, you long to, to be part of our future. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what it means and thank you for the words that we're about to share. Be with us, we pray. Bless us and fill our hearts afresh with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Easter Sunday is a day when there's a sense of relief in many ways, because it comes at the end of Easter week. You see, it's difficult, isn't it, sometimes to understand how we should respond um, spiritually and emotionally to the Easter week. For example, on Palm Sunday, it's a day of great celebration, and yet we know that just a few days later, the celebrations were all forgotten. When we see the Maundy Thursday supper, we see the confusion of the disciples, but we know that Jesus is, is foretelling his own suffering and death. On Good Friday, we often get asked the question, why is it called Good Friday when it's a day that Jesus died? That seems very odd. But actually, it is good because despite the pain and the suffering and the horrific torture that Jesus endured and the death that he eventually died, he did that for you and me. And we are, in a funny sort of a way, the beneficiaries of what he did on the cross. And so we find ourselves going through a bit of an emotional roller coaster in Holy Week until we get to Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday we can breathe this sigh of relief. Finally, finally it's done. We know how to respond. We can finally, we don't have to look forward anymore and think, well I know what happened on this day all those years ago but I also know what was to come. Instead on Easter Sunday we can say, I know what happened on this day all those years ago and I know what it meant and I know that it's good news. So Easter Sunday brings with it a sense of relief. And yet, just like much of the Easter narrative, it doesn't begin with the same feelings and emotions that it finishes with. For instance, the Easter narrative begins in a tomb. It begins with, with Jesus having been wrapped in linen, his body placed in a tomb temporarily because there wasn't time to prepare the body with the spices that traditionally Jewish customs dictated should have been should have been anointed the body should have been anointed with and he's placed temporarily in this tomb so that on the sabbath the saturday he wasn't disturbed other people didn't come they didn't they didn't work instead the body was left alone and so on the morning of easter sunday we remember a group of ladies who came with spices and herbs prepared to anoint the body, to, to dress it as it should have been dressed, ready to be laid into the grave for the final time. You see, the tomb, the tomb, 
that the Easter narrative begins with was never intended to be Jesus' final resting place. That was never the intention on earth, and it was never the intention in heaven either. So on Easter Sunday morning we remember Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and another lady called Salome, turning up to prepare the body. We read of how they, they got into the garden, they got to the tomb and they were astonished to find the stone rolled away. The Gospels all, all recount their, their shock. Some of them describe fear as they saw the tomb. They saw that it was empty. And then they saw someone, this figure an angelic figure, some say it was Christ himself, turn up, appear to them and speak these words. Matthew 28, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Do not be afraid. He is risen. That's the message, that's the words that resound in churches up and down the country on normal Easter Sundays. And today they'll be resounding in the, in the ears of Christian people across the world. Do not be afraid. He is risen. You see, the ladies are invited to go and check the tomb. Shortly after they've done this, they go and report it, and, and two disciples, Peter and John, go running back to see the tomb for themselves. They can't believe that someone would have risen from the dead, despite the fact that Jesus had been, had been predicting this time and time again during his ministry. They still cannot believe that it's achievable which is understandable. I don't think any of us would believe it if, if we buried someone and then the next day they suddenly started appearing. We'd want to see it with our own eyes. We would want the evidence. And so they go to the empty tomb. They see the grave clothes neatly folded as if untouched. They see the stone having been rolled away. And they see there is no body to be found. And then suddenly there are reports there are reports of Jesus beginning to appear, beginning to appear to his disciples and to others. We're told later that Jesus appeared 12 times to different people in the course of the next 40 days, 12 different occasions. He spoke to people, people heard his voice, he was seen by people. He was touched, physically touched, by people who doubted what they saw with their own eyes. He cooked over a fire. He ate fish. He taught people on the road to Emmaus. When he was challenged, I don't believe it's really you, show me your wounds, he held up his hands showed the, the, the nail holes from where he'd hung on the cross. And then he opened his tunic and showed the wound in his side where the sword had been stuck in 
to make sure he was properly dead. Where John's gospel, gospel records that, that two fluids came flowing out. One was red like blood and the other was clear like water. This is evidence of Jesus' death. Because when the heart stops beating, when blood stops flowing around the body, it separates. The red blood cells sink to the bottom and the yellow plasma sits on top. When the sword was put into Jesus' side, what John recalls flowing out is the plasma and the red blood cells, these two separate fluids. This is medical evidence that Jesus was dead. Jesus spoke to people. He mixed with people. He appeared in rooms with locked doors and then he disappeared out of sight. He was natural and yet supernatural. He was fully man, yet fully God. There is so much evidence for Jesus being who he said he was that these days, when we look back at the historical accounts, not just in the gospel, but historians of the time, they recorded Jesus' life. These days, no serious scholar doubts that there was a man called Jesus who performed amazing wonders. There's too much historical evidence to question it, to doubt that. Now, of course, people don't want to believe this because we cannot explain how Jesus rose from the dead. We cannot explain his miracles. We cannot explain where the, the, the deep moral teaching came from. For years, people have been trying to dismiss the claims of Christians that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. For years, there have been conspiracy theories. There have been ideas, there have been, been challenges set out to, to dismiss the Christian faith, but every single one has failed. That's why up and down the world now, there are, there are over three billion Christians who claim Jesus Christ as their saviour. Some claim the Romans used him as a form of social control. Some claim that because the Romans were in authority at the time, they, they decided to jump on the bandwagon and use the claims of Jesus. But of course, actually, if you look at history, the Romans didn't, didn't get involved in Christianity other than to, to persecute and to crucify Christians until the year 312 AD. That's 300 years after the events that we're talking about. The Romans didn't jump on the bandwagon for 300 years. Jesus was who he said he was. He wasn't a political tool. He wasn't manipulated. He wasn't convenient and used by someone. Jesus was in full control. Jesus spoke and taught with full authority. There is so much evidence, and yet we still find in this country especially that there are so many people who claim to believe in something but dismiss Jesus. When we actually ask the questions, when we look into it, we find that those people have never actually seriously considered the evidence for Jesus. They've never actually seriously read the gospel. They've never looked into other accounts of Jesus. They've never looked into theological discussion and ideas. They've never wanted to take up the challenge of why they've dismissed Jesus. I can understand why. This world doesn't appear to have a place for Jesus. We're used to walking into a supermarket and just plucking food off the shelf in whichever quantity we like. We're used to having jobs, having houses, 
having all the amenities that we need, being able to go onto Amazon and just order what we want when we want, and it'll turn up the next day, as if by magic. We don't need anyone to turn water into wine. We don't need to feed 5,000. But we take for granted the fact that we are so blessed in so many ways. And actually, looking into the claims of Jesus seems like hard work. If you Google who was Jesus, you get so many, so many different answers that it just seems like a pointless exercise. But you see, don't Google it. Read the Gospel. Read the Bible. That's where, that's where the evidence lies. That's where the true evidence can be found. It seems like hard work, doesn't it? Ploughing through ancient scriptures. No one really likes hard work. We prefer to have things given to us on a plate. I know I do. But sometimes hard work is necessary to actually find what's on the other side, to actually find the truth. I used to do a lot of mountain climbing and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but sadly I, I live in Essex and Essex isn't renowned for its mountain ranges and so one day a group of us went up to Scotland where there are numerous mountains. We woke up one morning, left our tent and we were greeted by low cloud, foggy conditions, it was wet, it was cold, it was miserable. It's Scotland in summer. And there was this mountain that we wanted to climb and we looked at it and we could see that as soon as we started climbing we would very quickly hit cloud. It didn't look very inviting, in fact it looks pretty treacherous. Some people in the group said let's do it tomorrow, let's just go to the pub today. And I thought that sounds like a good shout to me. But before I could voice my opinion someone said no, no we said we'd get to the top, we said we'd do it, let's do it, let's go. So no one really wanted to chicken out and so we got our gear on. We got our boots and our waterproofs, we got our food and our water and we climbed. And we climbed and we climbed and there was a couple of times where we got lost and a couple of times where we had to, had to retrace our steps. The visibility was so poor that we were just walking on compass bearings, trusting our map and our navigational training. We were beginning to doubt that we'd ever get to the top. This mountain seemed to be going on forever. It was a nightmare. Until suddenly someone said, is it me or is the cloud lifting? And we thought, great, it's getting brighter. But then a funny thing happened. The cloud hadn't lifted at all. We were the ones lifting. We were climbing higher and higher and higher. And eventually we discovered that actually the cloud wasn't that thick. We broke through the top of the cloud. We got to the peak. And do you know what we found at the top of that peak? We found blue skies and sunshine. It was so hot that we had to stop walking, take off our waterproofs and our warm weather gear and just walk in t-shirts. We got to the top and we, we looked out across this vista and it was, like, it was like cotton wool. It was like freshly fallen snow. It was beautiful. We could see all these other peaks poking through with the sun just, just glinting off them. It looked like you could just stroll out across the cloud and, and walk from peak to peak. It was amazing. We spent a few minutes up there and then as the sun began to reach the horizon we decided we'd better head back down. By the time we got back down to the valley, we looked up and all we could see was fog and mist and it was cold and it was wet and it was miserable, but somehow we'd changed. We'd changed because we knew, we knew that at the top of that peak was blue skies and sunshine. It was a different world. 
You see, the Christian faith is not dissimilar to that experience. For so many people who just flippantly dismiss the claims of the gospel, it's because they're standing in the valley, looking around saying, it's freezing cold and it's soaking wet and I can see that mountain is covered in cloud and you're telling me it's worth climbing? No, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to invest time and effort in that. It's not worth it. Christians will tell you it is. You see, the Christian faith says, we're not claiming life's going to be easy. We're not guaranteeing a bed of roses. We're not going to tell you that become a Christian and all your problems go away. No, far from it. Jesus didn't have a life that was easy and straightforward. He had a life where he was constantly questioned and and persecuted. But what the Bible does tell us is that if we walk that path, if we climb that mountain, if we persevere through the fog and the cold and the wet and the unpleasant conditions, then one day we will break through the top and we will find ourselves in heaven. We will find ourselves somewhere that is so beautiful and so pure that we cannot imagine what it will be like. But before we can do that, there's, there's a problem that we need to overcome. And that's a problem called sin. Every one of us carries sin. It's basically just all the bad things that we've done, all the regrets, all the mistakes, all the errors. And none of us can sit here this morning and say, I haven't done anything wrong, not with any truth. We'd be lying, and that in itself is a sin. But you see, Jesus offers us an opportunity. If we follow him, if we accept that he died on the cross for us, if we accept him as our saviour, the one who will save us, then do you know what the Bible says? It says that through the shedding of his blood, we are washed clean. It says that he will take away our sin. Our sin will be put on him. All the punishment and the suffering that he took on the cross was for us. And so if our sin is taken away from us and put on Christ on the cross, that means that we are made pure. And only through that process can we enter heaven. If we were to enter heaven carrying sin, then suddenly the purity of heaven is, is, is lost. It's polluted. Our sin pollutes heaven and God will not allow that. He cannot allow that. But if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, if we choose to follow him this Easter time, then we can ask for his forgiveness for our sin. He will, he will give us forgiveness for our sin. And we will then be able to enter into a relationship with our God, our Heavenly Father, the one who sent Jesus into this world because he loves the world and he loves you and he loves me. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That eternal life is not on this earth, it's beyond this earth. It's when when we die to this world and we enter heaven, when we die to the fog and the mist and the cold and the wet, and we break through the cloud, and we look around and we see a world that we didn't even know existed, 
That's a promise that is open to you this morning. And I pray that you will choose to accept Jesus. We've seen a lot of good news recently in amongst the bad news. We've seen people feeding the hungry, supporting the oppressed, giving to the poor, showing love and grace and mercy, bringing joy to a pretty joyless situation. And that's fantastic. And we should welcome that and we should applaud it and we should give thanks that people are willing to do these things. But don't forget, this Easter story begins with a tomb. It begins with an empty tomb. And you see, Jesus left that tomb empty when he walked out of it. But he also left it open. The stone was rolled away. He could have left it closed. It could still have appeared to people. But he chose not to. And so there's an invitation to follow Jesus. Follow him through the gospel. Read his story. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The four uh, books of the Bible that tell his story. And then once you've done that, you'll notice that when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to follow him. <clears throat> he didn't call them, to, call them to, to go ahead of him. He didn't say, wait here, I'm going to go and do some work. He said, come along with me. He invited them. Well, he calls us to be his disciples as well. Matthew's Gospel records his last words as being an instruction to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. This morning, this Easter Sunday, that invitation is still there. It's an invitation to follow Jesus, not just through his teachings, but also follow him into the tomb, that empty tomb. Because you see, if we follow him in there, we'll find there is plenty of space to leave in that tomb all the regrets you have, all the mistakes you've made, all the people you've hurt, all the things in life that you wish you could have could go back and erase, well, Jesus gives us that chance. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. Jesus gives us that chance to have a fresh start, to turn to him and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Let me leave it in that tomb. And then let me walk out of that tomb into the world, refreshed and renewed, a different person, a changed life a follower of you. So this Easter Sunday, I'm going to pray for us now. And I'm going to pray that this is a day that for those of us who don't yet know Jesus, we changed. It's a day that we came to recognise that we need Jesus in our lives, that the world needs a saviour, and that there is a saviour. And his name is Jesus. He's not shut inside a tomb, but instead, he walked out of that tomb. He walked out of that tomb so that he left it empty, empty for us to fill it with all of our sin. It never, it never, it's never full to the brim. We can always go back. We can always go back time and time again and ask for his forgiveness. The evidence for Jesus is indisputable. He was who he said he was. He did exist. He was crucified. He did rise again. 
he did walk out of that tomb. And he does bid you and me to follow him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for that when we read your words, when we read the Bible, we can read the accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We can read so much truth. Father, thank you that through the resurrection, we are given the chance to be reconciled to you, our God, our creator, the one who, who loves us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And Father, thank you that when we're reminded of the, the, the narrative of the resurrection, when we hear that story, we hear one of shock, one of disbelief. We hear about people who, just as we do today, wanted evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that, that there were 12 separate occasions where Jesus uh, uh, um, presented himself to people. We thank you that more than 500 people bore witness to the risen Christ. And we thank you that today literally billions of people across the world call him saviour. And so, Father, we pray today that for those of us who are watching and have a long-standing Christian faith, you will challenge us in our faith. You will remind us not to be flippant and not to take for granted what we read, but to challenge ourselves to come deeper and closer in our relationship with you. And Father, I pray, anyone who's watched this sermon this morning, anyone who's heard about the risen Christ for the first time, will have been challenged too. We'll take up the mantle that's been thrown down, the gauntlet, if you like, to challenge their disbelief, to test their, their preconceptions against the evidence of Jesus Christ. So, Father, bless us this day, we pray, and help us to draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Stay safe, stay inside as much as you can, and be blessed. Have a great week.